0: It's probably been said too many times already uh, this year, but I'm just not very creative, so deal with me. I think if we're honest, 2020's been a hard year. We've been able to find things to be thankful for. We have been able to find the silver lining of the dark cloud that has surrounded us for almost nine months now. And as we come out of that time of Thanksgiving, we've found some things that we are really appreciative of. But that doesn't mean that this hasn't been a year of pain, a year of disappointment, a year of loss, a year of increased tension. And maybe now as we enter into this Christmas season, things that are hard often get magnified even more. Things that are tense get just a little bit more tense. As I've thought about that this week, Maybe the best way to describe 2020 is actually to say that 2020 has been a year of Advent. Now, if you didn't grow up in the church or you haven't been around very long, you might not totally understand what Advent means, and that's okay. I actually had to go look it up this week just to make sure I didn't mess it up. But the church has seasons, and throughout those seasons, hopefully that shapes our worship and even more our attitudes. And so as we enter this Christmas season, that's the church season of Advent. Advent simply means coming or arrival. And so in the church, we take on a posture of waiting. Waiting for the birth of Jesus but I think we're waiting for a whole lot more than that. My guess is every one of us in this room has cried out, yelled out, asked the question, God, what are you waiting for? How much longer is this gonna go on? We're waiting for a return to normal, for an end to the pandemic, for a peaceful transition of power, for justice, for healing in broken relationships, and our lists go on and on and on. But what if, what if this sense of waiting is exactly what we need to prepare us for this Christmas season? What if the things that are happening around us, God might actually use to make this Advent and this Christmas even more meaningful? Now, I didn't say this is what we want. I said, what if it's what we need? One of my favorite theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was an activist in World War II, says this about Advent. The celebration of Advent is possible only for those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come that is not quite the festive, joyful holiday season that our culture wants to sell us at Christmas, right? That doesn't sell a whole lot of Lego toy sets at Target. But maybe it rings more true. Maybe if you think about some of the songs we sing at Christmas. I know last year, I said that I'm not a huge fan of Christmas music. But if I had to pick a song, "O Come, Oh Emmanuel might be one of my favorites. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Those song, that song is taken right out of Scripture, right out of the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9. And I don't think that Israel 700 years ago was in a much different situation than we are today. Listen to Isaiah's words as his prophecy begins. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child... Oh, that's coming in a minute. Darkness. Despair. Deep darkness. Doesn't sound like life's real good for the Israelites either. So if Dietrich Bonhoeffer's right and our troubles that we experience are better preparing us for Advent this season, maybe we come back to that original question. What are you waiting for? Maybe the better question is, who are you waiting for? Isaiah's prophecy continues in chapter 9, verse 6. and He says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Now what's happening in Israel right now is they are living in captivity. They are an enslaved people to the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a brutal, brutal empire. And they're living under oppression. And all of a sudden, Isaiah speaks. He speaks of a baby who will be born, a child, a son. And this new king will rule Israel and free them from the oppression of the Assyrians. He'll bring light to their darkness. He'll bring joy and freedom to an oppressed people. Most of all, this king will be a reminder of God's presence with them forever and active in the lives of his people. How do they know? How can they believe the prophecy of Isaiah that he's given to them 700 years ago? He says, because of the passionate commitment of our God. Now, if you were an Israelite living 700 years ago, that passionate commitment would take you back to images in the past of where God had worked. And maybe the one that if you've read the Old Testament at all, the Israelites go back to is a time when they were in captivity before. Before. Not to the Assyrians, but to the Egyptians. And the passionate commitment of God led them out of Egypt across the sea, walking on dry land and eventually into the land that he promised them. That's what the passionate commitment of the Lord could do for the Israelites. So what's this mean for us today? Well, the church has historically taken these four names and seen them lived out in the truth and the life of Jesus' ministry. So each Advent season, we come and we wait again. We wait to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We wait for his return that he promised and that will one day end all pain, all suffering all the things of this world. And we wait for God to show up in our lives, in real and tangible ways as a mighty, as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, as a prince of peace. And so as we enter into this Advent season, these four weeks, we're going to unpack what each one of those names mean beginning with wonderful counselor. So what does it mean in the middle of all of the events of everything that's happening in 2020 that God shows up in our lives as a wonderful counselor? Now, I understand it's hard to listen to someone talk for 25 minutes. And so if you zone out or doze off or get distracted, don't miss this. Maybe the most important thing I'll say, Jesus is the wonderful counselor who experienced life as we know it and has the wisdom to guide us through. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who experienced life as you and I know it and has the wisdom to guide us through. Now, the world-renowned and acclaimed therapist Carl Rogers once laid out his philosophy of what, created, of what it means to create a good climate for good counseling and good therapy to happen. And he said in order for that to happen, the counselor has to start by asking himself three questions. The first of those questions is, can I be real in the relationship with the client? Can I, the counselor, be honest, be genuine in my relationship with this, with this counselee? Can I not hide anything? Can I be authentic with them? The second question a good counselor has to answer, if he's going to create a climate where a a client feels comfortable, is will I find myself prizing this person? Will I be able to find value in who this person is as they are, as they walk into my office? Will I be able to help them see the value that is built into them to cherish them? And lastly, will I be able to understand the inner world of this person? Can I, as the counselor, see the world through the patient's eyes? Can I feel what they're feeling? Can I, do I know what it's like to be the patient? Carl Rogers says, if you can do these three things, you create a space for good counseling to happen. So what happens if we take these three questions and we look at Jesus through the lens of these three questions? That's what I want to do with the rest of our time that we have this morning. So if you have your Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 4. If you've got your phone, pull it out. Open up the Bible app. If not, the words will be on the screen. Uh, Families, you guys can gather around and uh, read those in your living room. But the author's point in Hebrews is to help us see that Jesus has come and that as Jesus comes, he's bringing something new. He's re imagining the covenant that God made with Israel. And he's making it better, more complete. And so that's where we pick up today in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. The author says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, that we will receive mercy and will find grace to help when we need it most. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sin as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was. Now, this might get a little confusing because we're like mixing images here, right? We just went from, I thought we were talking about wonderful counselor, but now you just read about a high priest. So if you're not familiar with the Old Testament kind of law that God set up, let me give you a, a real quick synopsis of it. It's not complete, but you'll get the point. God comes, he establishes a law, the Ten Commandments, with Israel. These, this law is about how the Israelites could live in relationship with God. It seems like a lot of you don't do this, you don't do this, you do this. But the purpose of all of that at the bottom line is so that God could have a relationship with the Israelites. In order to mediate that law, God needed a middleman. And that's what the high priest is. The high priest is someone who speaks for God, on behalf of God, to the people. He also speaks on behalf of the people to God. And so when the Israelites would break part of God's law or break that relationship that God wanted to have with them, they would go to the high priest, they would bring some sort of offering or sacrifice. The high priest would sacrifice that on their behalf to God, and God would forgive their sins. And that's the way it went. You can imagine, this is quite the burden to bear. There, were not, uh, there was one high priest at a time. And so the author of Hebrews is saying the work of Jesus is like the high priest. For us today, I would say that if we get a clear understanding of Jesus as high priest, we will see that maybe that's exactly what makes him a wonderful counselor. So Jesus is not only our high priest, but he is a wonderful counselor as well. In order to see that, let's go back through those three questions. Question number one, can Jesus be real in relationship with us? I think the answer to that based on the author of Hebrews is a resounding yes. This passage we just read says that Jesus understands our weaknesses and faced the same temptations we do. The message, which is a different translation, a little more modern, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it just has great takes on different verses. It puts it in a little bit more easy to read language. It says this, we don't have a high priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He experienced it all, all but the sin. You see, the name of Jesus Emmanuel means God with us. So, can Jesus understand our experience? Yeah. He stepped out of heaven, He walked down and walked among us, He walked life in our shoes. This is actually one of the things that makes our faith and our God so unique that he stepped out of heaven, he walked life. It's one of the most amazing and wonderful things we believe. We do not sit this Advent season waiting for a God who remains distant. We wait for a God who willingly came near. Letting us see through the ways and the people that he spent time with and the sacrifice that he made, that he has absolutely nothing to hide from us. His relationship with us is genuine, just like his relationship with the disciples who spent every day with him was genuine. Second question, will Jesus find himself prizing us? I don't think we have to look very long at the life of Jesus to see just how much he cared about people. I would encourage you, if you're looking for something to read this holiday season, it's not super Christmassy, but I would encourage you to read the book of John. If you've never read the gospel of John or if you've read it, read it again. And as you read, look at the way Jesus encounters the people in that book. And ask yourself, is Jesus cherishing these people? One of my favorite stories in the book of John is actually early in the book, John chapter 4. Jesus comes to a village in Samaria and he needs a drink of water. And there at the well in the middle of the day is one woman. And Jesus does maybe the most countercultural thing he could possibly do in his day a time when Jews and Gentiles didn't speak because they hated each other so much. They worshiped on different mountains. Can we imagine what it would be like to worship in different places? Because our cultures are different today. But Jesus comes to the Samaritan woman, the despised person, a woman who in that day had no rights. And he speaks to her. He initiates conversation with her, a leader, a man, a Jew. And in that conversation, he welcomes her in. And he invites her into relationship with him. Now, one of the things that I think Jesus does better than any other counselor we could have is not only does he prize us and cherish us as we are, but he prizes and cherishes us enough to not leave us there. Because he looks at this Samaritan woman and she's got some junk in her life like every one of us. And Jesus could have just avoided the whole thing and not brought it up, but he doesn't. He brings it up. But he does it in such a way that shows her compassion, that shows her how much he loves her, that shows her he wants what's best for her. He, and maybe the best testimony of all is he does it in a way that causes her to go into her village and say, you've got to come out and meet this teacher, this prophet, this prophet, who told me everything I've ever done. And so her whole village comes out to meet Jesus. Because of her encounter with Jesus, her entire village comes to know how much Jesus loves them and wants to be in relationship with them. You see, Jesus spent the majority of his ministry here on earth teaching, healing and welcoming those whose society and especially the religious of his day or the, had rejected. This wonderful counselor knows what it means to prize the broken and the hurting and to bring wholeness to their lives. For us this Advent season, Jesus isn't waiting on us to get ourselves cleaned up so we can come to him. Jesus is sitting with arms wide open, inviting us to come, to experience the love that he has, to experience the grace and the mercy that he wants to give. The author of Hebrews, again in Hebrews chapter 4, says, Let's walk up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. That's how much Jesus prizes you. You are. We are Jesus' beloved and prized people. Third question. Will Jesus be able to understand our inner world? Excuse me. The author of Hebrews spends so much time answering this question. And if you take a look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, it says, it's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for angels. It was for people like us, children of Abraham. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as a high priest to get rid of people's sins, he had already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. Every detail. This means Jesus woke up with morning breath every morning. Jesus knows what our life was like. Every step of the way. He knew what it was like to grieve the loss of a beloved friend. He knew what it was like to be in relationships. He knows what it's like to have a trusted friend turn his back on him. He knows what it's like to celebrate the joys of life. But he knew and he felt what it was like to feel the pain and the bite of life as well. And he did this to get rid of our sin. To provide a way out. It's through this experience that Jesus learned to deal with us gently. And with grace and mercy. Because he better understands our experience. He did all of this because he prizes us. And he knew how much we needed a relationship with him. The life death and resurrection of Jesus provides hope that our time of waiting will one day end. And it's because of his work that we have the help we so desperately need. It's because of Jesus' love and attitude towards us as a wonderful counselor that we're able to approach his throne with confidence and not fear. Now, I'm no counselor. If you're actually hurting, I might be the worst or last person you want to come talk to. I'm working on empathy, but it's a work in progress. But I think Carl Rogers misses one question. I think his three questions are just a little bit incomplete. And so I'd like to add a fourth as we finish our conversation about Jesus as a wonderful counselor. And that fourth question is, does Jesus have the wisdom to offer us the best advice? Does Jesus have the wisdom to offer us the best advice? You know, it's one thing to go to a counselor, to meet with them, to share your pain, to feel their empathy for you, to feel them enter into your situation, to feel them make you feel special or cherished or prized, to understand where you're at. But if they don't have anything to offer, if they don't have any wisdom to offer, then we just talked for a while. Nothing's actually going to change. So to answer that fourth question, I would go back to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. Now, I probably spend too much time on social media, but the idea of a king or a ruler or information based on fact and not appearance or hearsay is like fresh water running over me in this time. I wonder if the wise counsel, the wisdom of a wonderful counselor, isn't what we need more than anything in our lives today. Wisdom that speaks and helps us know best how to love our neighbors in the middle of isolation. Wisdom that enables us to disagree with someone politically or otherwise and still love them unconditionally. We need a wonderful counselor who's wise to help us know how we should fight for justice for all people. We need wisdom to know how to treat people with dignity and respect. We need wisdom to know how to love our family. You know, I think for a while, uh, we all thought that being at home for a little bit with family would be a great thing. We get to work from home, we get to see each other more, we get to spend more time together. And now, after nine months, that's great, but we want an hour by ourselves. And we need some wisdom to figure out how to live in this new close proximity to those who we can't get away from. We need wisdom to know how to heal broken relationships. We need wisdom to know how to love God and grieve the loss of so many things in our life today. We need God's wisdom to know what it means to be the church, not in this building, but in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and in our communities. We need wisdom to know what it means to do church desperately, differently. We desperately need a counselor who has wise advice, who knows what's best for us, and for not just for us, but for everyone, that would allow all people to experience the love and grace this wonderful counselor has to offer. We need wisdom to know how to share the truth about this wonderful counselor in a way that welcomes others in, invites them into relationship with them, and draws them into that relationship. In his book, Honest Advent, author Scott Erickson says, because Jesus is his wonderful counselor, he has a space where I was seen, heard, known, and prized which allowed me to enter into a terrain of freedom in which I could experience healing and movement towards holistic restoration. Jesus is the wonderful counselor who experienced life as we know it and has the wisdom to guide us through. This Advent season, as we wait on Jesus to come again, How do you need to experience him as wonderful counselor? What counseling do you need? What help do you need from this wonderful counselor? What words of wisdom do you need? Jesus experienced life in our shoes and yet was without sin. He lived the life we never could and it's because of that that we can trust his wisdom. As we wait this Advent to celebrate the birth of Jesus, for answers to the issues we face individually, for justice, as we wait for a vaccine, as we wait ultimately for Jesus to return and come again to establish his kingdom, we remember that our counselor willingly went to the cross to experience humiliation, pain, and death so that we could experience life. It's because of that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Israel would mourn for a while until the Son of God appears. Then it's rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel, God with us, has come. I want to encourage you as we go through this next month, Remember, Jesus didn't come to those who had it all together. He didn't come for those whose life looked really pretty on the outside. He came for the broken, those in need of healing, those in need of help. I want to encourage you to sit in the presence of Jesus through prayer, asking for his wisdom in the situations that you face. And I want to encourage you to meditate on scripture to read and think about it. If you need a place to start, start in John and experience God as your wonderful counselor. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for stepping out of heaven, for sending your son Jesus to come and walk among us. that we may know you and that we may be known by you. God, this Advent season, we are waiting. We are waiting for so many things. God, we need you to show up and be who you are. God, thank you for your counsel. Give us the humility we need to accept that. And God, may we show that love and that counsel and that wisdom that you have to a world who desperately needs it. Thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.